Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello, Kevin. Deja vu? Eh. Nah. Eh. I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, we are here at the end of the Suns season uh, for the second straight year. It is a blowout loss at home, which is why Kevin is asking that question, and we'll answer it here in a bit. 126 to 100? I believe 125 to 100 was the final score. Uh, Just a quick 90-second recap of the game. Suns are kind of in it at the start, a little bit. Like, campaigns hitting shots, and Jock Landale's getting really, really physical with Jokic, and it looks like there's some paths to success moderately. And then all of a sudden, Denver goes on a 23-2 run in the last 4-10 of the first quarter. And then in the second quarter similar-ish kind of quarter where the Suns are still are seeing some success with a couple of different things. They cut the deficit down to 15, and then I believe it was a 21-6 run again in like the last four minutes, last four and a half minutes. Last 446 uh, was a 21-6 spurt to leave it at, yes, a 30-point halftime deficit, the same as Game 7 against Dallas last year. And again, they were booed off the floor, which, hey, man, if you're down 30 at half in an elimination game at home, you are going to get booed. Yeah. What'd you think? No Chris Paul, uh, no DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, that matters. Context matters. I mean, it just it just felt like the bottom fell out for the reasons of Denver's really good, man. Um, Jokic missed three shots all game. Somehow Jock Landale finished with the plus seven. I have no idea how that's mathematically possible. But, like, he wasn't stopping that dude. It turns out those two Suns wins in this series were really just Denver's intensity, focus, physicality wasn't there. Their physicality on offense, I thought, tonight was even more shocking than what it was on defense. Like, the shots, the Suns just missed a lot, it felt like. But, like, their offense was just punching you in the face over and over again. And, like, I... I already thought that they were probably going to be the favorite coming out of this, like in the whole NBA. But now I'm like, okay, well, if they if they can switch into that gear, man, that team's really good. And look, the Suns were down people, and that's what happens. I don't know what they could have done in this one. It wasn't as listless. Is that the right word to use as like not understanding why the Suns are just floating around against the Mavs last year. They weren't in a haze. The way that I described it in the recap was it looked like they were randomly dropped into a basketball situation and then the whistle blew. It just looked like they didn't even know where they were in that game. This did not look like that at all. And I got lambasted on it for Twitter, but if I would have said the sky is blue, I would have gotten lambasted on Twitter tonight. So (laughs) I don't think it mattered much. You'll be fine. I'm great. I'm doing good. I shouldn't say Um, I'm doing great on the... (laughs) <laughs> episode of the season long. Now everyone's going to get mad at me again, just like they were last year. What yeah. else is new? Um, it, so in this game, I, I agree with you, and like Kevin Durant said after the game, if he provides context, it's just going to sound like an excuse. And I feel like that right now in saying, but if you've been listening to the podcast all season, if you've been just listening during the playoffs, if you've just been listening since Kevin Durant got here, 
all I've been talking about is their ability to assimilate mid-season and really mid-postseason. That's what it turned into when they only played eight games. This is why we made such a big deal out of the length of his injury, his ankle injury, and how little time it was going to give them in the regular season and how it was basically going to force them to adapt, figure out how to play with him in the middle of the postseason. You and I had theories, and I mainly had this theory on my own, that the Clippers series was the best thing that ever happened to them because they saw all these different types of defenses. They got uber-physical guards on them that had them tested in a way where it felt like they could have really learned something and progressed. But ultimately, they just did not learn a lot uh, enough, and flat out just Kevin Durant was not good enough for this entire series. I think he's going to end the series at shooting 20% from three, and I found it interesting that he said like he, he doesn't really shoot a lot of threes normally. And he felt like he used the word chucking with threes specifically. And I tried to ask him in a way as a follow-up to the excuse thing. Like, I'm not trying to give you an excuse. I know you've been asked this a lot because he has been asked it a lot the last couple of weeks. Like, eight games. And then he's like, I don't know. We're fine. I feel good. I feel like I know everything in the offense and all that kind of stuff. But clearly he was not able to find a rhythm clearly he was not able to be comfortable the way that he said it and I thought he said it well was just in it was in spurts for him yeah. when he felt comfortable and it was really over the course of a game and, and what I can't get out of my head uh Kevin Zerman with this thought is that remember how easy it looked for him in those first three games yeah and what are the reasons why one horrible team teams they were playing really bad <laughs> the Bulls the Hornets and the Mavericks uh, but two the horribleness of those teams allowed him to just really play free in those situations. No one can play free in the playoffs. Like You, you cannot yeah. have that kind of feeling. You are constantly suffocated by the defense. My goodness, we didn't mention this yet, Kevin. Um, Eddie Gonzalez had a good tweet in which he compared it to when you're playing 21 and someone's at 19 and like you're getting double, triple team, basically. If you look at some of the screenshots in this game when Booker and Durant start to get into the lane or rise up for a shot, there's almost always two guys around them and then the backline defender, Jokic or Gordon, whoever it is, is like right there at the rim waiting for them. And it was just a really great game plan from Denver. I think we spent far too much time talking about how, wow, Booker and Durant could combine for 90, anything could happen, instead of talking about how Denver could prevent that because of who was going to be playing. Campaign stepped up really well. He had 31 points. At one point, he had 19 of the Suns' 41 to like still have it at a game in the second quarter before that second run came. I thought Jock Landale did did okay. He did he did fine. But no, no one else was able to step up tonight. No one else was comfortable enough to step up, um, and, and that was really what what doomed them because that was Denver's entire game plan was if you guys are going to hit absurd amazing shots for four quarters over three guys go ahead but if you don't your other guys are going to have to make plays consistently they didn't really come close to doing it and on top of that Booker and Durant weren't able to do anything positive when they tried to like both of them play bad tonight I mean you deserve a lot of credit for being on the I mean you were there you kind of saw the injury more than us um watching from Phoenix in game five for Devin Booker for Devin Booker did not look right and you were trying to press him on it he kept saying he was fine Monty basically said I don't know either but he's basically was like he's probably hiding something so we we pressed book on it after game five in Denver but you're referring to Monty tonight uh book did not talk tonight 
very uncharacteristic of him. Pretty much ever since he has been the guy in Phoenix, so like for the last six years, he's talked pretty much every time. Like, look, there's a game or two that has come up over, like for anyone else, where he's just like, yeah. And at one point, like this year, there was one game where he joked. He's like, can I have a pass tonight or can I get skipped tonight? And then we were all kind of, I, I am the type of person to begrudgingly be like, yeah, that's fine, man. Everyone else is like, it is your obligation and duty. We are journalists with a capital J and all that kind of stuff where I'm just like, yeah, human beings. Like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, so he's, he's never done that, to be clear. But it has to be tweeted out, especially in a time like this, because it's just it's just There's no obli- Devin Booker comments. You're just putting it out there. But it's his, it's his obligation. I'm, I, I just wanted to leave it at that. And we had, we had to mention it because we would look like... Um, we would be contradicting ourselves if we didn't bring it up, you know, when we brought it up for other people. But, yeah, I mean, that mattered, too. That was context of this game where Monty even said, like, this guy's not looking like himself, D- said didn't have the same pop, um, wasn't turning corners, wasn't attacking the glass, wasn't pushing in transition. And, you know, when you see a gap like this whole series – he had been like, oh, I'm punching it. I'm going in that gap. I'm getting into the lane. Um, he played it gear. The, I use the gears analogy, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, in the recap. And I think he went beyond gear three like a couple of times tonight, but he was mostly cruising. He picked up his 40, dribble on a hard hedge once. And it's like, I haven't seen you pick up a dribble in forever. The, La- the Landale one where it led to a turnover in the I second quarter. I think so. We could be talking about different ones because it happened so many times. But yeah. there was one, yeah, where the hedge came and he immediately picked up his dribble and just tossed it to Landale. And it's like, this is. And isn't... then Landale turned it over. And to your point, like, that, that's not him. That's not him. He was deferring in like 12 assists, scored 12 points. Obviously, elimination game. People are going to be up on the. Twitter's bad place right now. Don't go there if you're a Suns fan. Um, just putting out his elimination game numbers there. But, yeah, man, I, I think that's a really important piece to this too. And at the end of the day, um, I don't know how much more we have on this game. It's time to... Well, part of part of what I was... And we went too long, but part of what I was going to... What I was talking about with people before the game, people asked me like what I thought about tonight was I think that if Denver is the team to channel... Uh, the great late Dennis Green, if they are who we thought they were, the Nuggets, they'll come out here and make a statement because I think it's easy enough to say, don't let them get to a game seven when anything can happen when you're a amazing, like one of the best home teams of all time so far. And we'll see how their postseason run goes um, because they lost game four against Minnesota, but then they won all three home games in this series. And we'll see how the rest of their run goes. But the regular season was phenomenal for a home team. And they, and they very well could go down as one of the best home teams of all time. But it's easy to – it is difficult to avoid that trap of not falling into the trap yeah. of a trap game. And they – and what I was telling people was, like, if they're really the team that looks like the prohibitive favorites right now for the title, which I believe they are now, um, and I believed it a couple of games ago, honestly, they'll come out here and just, like, take care of business. And I didn't know what take care of business meant. Would they win by 10? Would they win by 30? Would they win by 40? I didn't know. But that first quarter, man, it was a haymaker of, like, yeah, we're the best team in the world. And for those of you watching right now at home who don't think we are, like, we're the best team in the world. Nikola Jokic was out of this world for the whole series. It was an absolute treat to watch him. It reminded the only two guys that I've seen come close to playing in that level in a postseason uh, series that I've covered, and it's only eight or nine or whatever at this point. But Giannis in the finals, obviously, and I don't think that's going to go away from the number one spot anytime soon. Book this postseason, obviously, but then Jokic in this one, like he was 
out of this world, and Jamal Murray had one bad game, but other than that, he was tremendous. Like, he was really good. And then Contavious Caldwell-Pope gives you 17 in the first quarter of this game. Michael Porter Jr. gave them 14 in the first quarter of the previous game. KCP had the big threes in game two. Aaron Gordon had the huge game in game one. They are just a really, really good team, and there's a really, really bad tweet going viral right now from a Denver Beat reporter. But his point, at least on the Denver side, is sound, that they are just a excellent team. Yeah. They are just a really, really good team. I haven't talked about this on the pod yet, but Michael Porter Jr., his defense wasn't good tonight, but he has been way better defensively than I expected and what I thought. I thought he had made some progress from what I had, the limited amount that I had seen, but I did not think that he was at a point where you could call him a good playoff defender, and he was in this series, Jamal Murray, made it work. Nikola Jokic made it work. And then, of course, Gordon and KCP were spectacular. And Bruce Brown, the scorer, came up in this series. He was a scorer again tonight. He was the nuisance. He kind of was like a a clipper guard that just didn't get on the clipper somehow. Like, he was that version of that kind of player. Christian Brown had some moments. Jeff Green had some moments. Like, everyone for them really had those kinds of moments. I like how you're – we've gone too long when – a lot longer on that. It's okay. It's important to point out the Nuggets are good. They're excellent, yeah. Do you think, this is what's weird, is this Suns team went from, it used to be matchup hunting to, like, they were just picking on Michael Porter Jr. two years ago. They would pick on, Nico, like, Jokic. They did none of that that I like blatantly noticed like they went at Jokic pick and roll sometimes but it just didn't it's weird it's like they didn't have a plan they just ran stuff like there was one game where they double dragged him to heck and it worked and then they just didn't go back to it I just how this team operates on offense and that's where the Chris Paul factor is like I know the pace is really good but I think they missed him, is what I'm saying. No, they missed him a ton. Uh, they missed DeAndre a lot, specifically with the Jokic matchup. It was just, like, so easy for Jokic tonight. Again, dude, how great he is, but it was there. Um, we should wrap pretty soon. We're getting stared at by people now. I think we have to get off the court now. Um, what did you – what are, like, off-season things you're looking at here before we go? Exit interviews tomorrow. We will podcast next week before the season, like, kind of unofficially ends, but uh, – I don't want to be on head coach watch – question has to be asked after two endings like this it's going to be asked it matters because there's a new owner we don't know how he acts um i don't think monty has any blame in how they went out in this one like maybe this game but i i think he doesn't deserve to get canned because this team didn't succeed if that makes sense i think this team was flawed circumstances cropped up that were not in his control like i think it's tough your phone's on the floor or something. Yeah, I noticed. Um, I <laughs> I don't think he should be fired. I think that he should be on, like, the proverbial, quote-unquote, hot seat going into next year. Um, yeah. We already talked about DA last episode. I don't think it makes sense to get rid of Chris. I'll tease that for next week. Um, but, yeah, before we go. Big shout, things. Before we go, shout-out to the GOAT. Ow. The absolute GOAT of all GOATs. Al McCoy calling his last yeah. games night. Slight tidbit. I don't think I've shared this anywhere before. I wanted to be Al McCoy when I was growing up. I wanted to call games, and if you want to call games, and you're a kid growing up loving basketball in the Valley, who else would you rather be than Al McCoy? I used to do, like, you know the big sheets that they make when they draw in all the 
stuff on them, like the details and the notes and stuff. I used to make those as a kid. Yeah. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Al. So it was great to be in the building for his final moments. I'm going to go back and watch them tonight and cry yeah. when I watch them. That's what I'm going to do. I was like, oh, we're working in the media room and it has this whole career around here. There are way dope. harder working people than us right now who are trying to finish their job here, getting off the court. So we're yeah. going to go do that now. Thanks for listening, everyone, throughout yes. the course of the season. Again, we'll be back next week to kind of wrap everything up. So um, the, the greetings and stuff back then. But yeah, I'm we're sure it caught, the camera caught all this. Yeah.